consumers have such an abundance of choice that you have to be impressive. Anything short of impressive is just dull. Doubling down on you is what I think people hold back on. They are so afraid of putting themselves out there or putting their own personality that they do the cookie cutter approach. However you define whatever whatever industry it is, it's like, okay, I have a hotel. I need to make sure it looks like the Hyatt's hotel. It's been done. So double down on you and your personality because people want to see that. Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. A big thank you to BizSimbly for sponsoring this episode as partner of our show. We have joined forces because we wanted to celebrate the reopening of society and the industry. And we believe that we as an industry need to find new ways of becoming more innovative from how we lead our people to operate and grow our businesses and how we serve our customers. We want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. And to do that, we have today connected with Mike Bouch in Tulsa, Oklahoma, an entrepreneur, author, operator of Andalino Pizzeria, and part of America's number one pizza team, competing worldwide in making pizza. And Mike tells us about how they have pivoted during the pandemic and how they're setting themselves up operating in a post-pandemic world and the many opportunities they have on their hands right now. We discussed the importance of having the right mindset as an owner-CEO and how to get in the right state in challenging times. Mike underlines the importance of setting high standards for yourself and the team so you stay on top of the customer's mind as a great place to eat and dine. We talk about the importance of designing a great employee experience that facilitates a unique and a different experience for the employees and the importance of building a culture of discipline and feedback. Mike also underlined the importance of investing the right amount of time and money in your training programs. Mike tells how they use graduation when employees have ended their training program as a key enabler to get the best return of investment out of their training. We talk about the importance of building systems and how they can elevate your business so you can grow with less pain when you get it right. We discuss how the industry is going through an identity crisis and how it will come back very different and tech will be a key enabler for many operators. Also, we talk about the importance of learning how to work agile, which is going to be key to survival, but also to progress. Before you tune in, please sign up to our weekly newsletter on hospitalitymavericks.com. It's packed with more Maverick insights, strategies, and tools. Now, please grab notebook, pen, and order your favorite pizza. You're in for an inspirational conversation on how to pivot in adversity and set yourself and your business up for success in the future. Enjoy. It's uh, ice cold here today where I'm sitting. And actually, my guest told me also before we started, there's a, I think it was an ice storm going on. But it's not here in the UK. We have a great guest, an operator uh, of heart. I will call him an entrepreneur more than a restaurateur because uh, Mike that is on the podcast there, he has uh, built together with his brother a little empire. And we told more about that, a little pizza empire in Oklahoma. He's going to take us a bit of a journey of how you actually can use a pandemic 
to uh, to leverage your business and take it to maybe a new level or an interim level. That that's uh, that Mike's going to talk a lot more. But there's some great insights here because Mike also have written a book. He's besides he's an author as well, a book that's called Unsliced, and uh, it's not a it's not a recipe book on pizza. It's a great book about business mindset. I would say and how you actually maybe can get inspired to get some things in place while you still have the time in the end of the, the pandemic. With that said, I will let uh, Mike uh, tell much more. But welcome to the, the podcast, Mike. It's a great pleasure to have you here with us today. Thank you so much. I very much appreciate it. For people that uh, I gave you like a, what do you call a soft intro, people that have never heard about Mike and his a great little pizza empire in Oklahoma, can you uh, tell a bit more about who you are, maybe the, the the top lines of the story, who is involved, and, and where you are now as a business. Very much so. I am Mike Bausch. I own Andalini's Pizzeria in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is, you know, in the middle of America. I grew up in New Jersey and California. Tulsa is a lot like Austin. It's a very progressive city. It's a very cool, artistic town with a lot of concert venues, a lot of restaurants, more restaurants here per person than New York. And I own five brick-and-mortar Andalini's pizzerias, a food truck, two gelaterias, two items at a, a food hall location, as well as a fine dining restaurant called Prosimo Restaurante, along with a location at the Tulsa airport that I own. It's not a it's not a, a franchise rights thing, which typically is what happens at an airport. I own that. And we've done this over the last 15 years since I moved to Tulsa right after I graduated college. Uh, I thought I was going to be a JAG lawyer in the Marine Corps. I have type 1 diabetes. So instead of doing that, I moved to Tulsa when my brother, who's 15 years older than me, got transferred here. And I decided I didn't want to suck at what I do. So I've just put one foot in front of the other every day for the last 15 years. And it's grown into what we have now. If I understand right, because the first time I was introduced to you, uh, I got your book as well. And uh, like anyone else, uh, the pandemic really changed the game for you. But but you, you approached it in a, maybe I would call it a different way uh, than, than the average. Everything is always an opportunity. Even getting punched in the face is, okay, now I know what that feels like. Now I can learn from that. That's what's the opportunity here. And when everything goes to complete crap, you get to – the beauty of food and hospitality is people need to eat. They need to eat. I I always regarded the restaurant industry as more of an entertainment thing. Like they could just eat at home. They can live off ramen. But when the world decided that restaurants were essential, it was news to me because I figure what we do is entertainment. But as long as we're going to be essential, I'm going to make the most badass – curbside model I can possibly imagine and move to doing that the best way I can. And I think no matter what situation you're in, if you're still allowed to turn your oven on and still allowed to give food, there is a way to monetize it and to stay out from the pack while it's everyone else. If you just got into the restaurant industry five years ago, everyone has 60 years on you potentially that they've been doing it. Everyone was starting square one. So if you had a hustle mentality and the ability to just throw stuff on the wall, and if it failed, it didn't matter. Just that failed new thing, that failed new thing. And then something lands and you just ran towards what was landing. It was a great opportunity to those who took it. And if you were just defeated by life and you you crawled into a corner and cry, I don't begrudge you that, but it's not what is going to get you out of this. 
Yeah, it's kind of interesting, Mike, because we talked about as well the, and I've talked about this on the podcast before and uh, been into you myself, that the importance of keep moving during a, a time like this where you actually don't stop uh, because when you stop, that's when the creativity, the innovation, the uh, the belief in you're going to get out on the other side, the, the meaning with things disappear as well. And as you say, you just have to try some things out and it doesn't matter if they fail because then you tried and then you can go on to the next thing. Um, so I think it's really, really key what you say there. But but what, what how, why did you decide to go into a restaurant and all of it? Because coming a bit back to your business and the purpose, you know, 15 years ago, out of college, starting a restaurant, most people will say, you're mental. That's one of the most difficult things in the world to make money on. <laughs> That's very fair. It's a very fair, astute observation. You'd say that's a really dumbass thing to do. That's what, and it was. It, also, a 22 year old with limited restaurant knowledge, I would highly advise not doing that. But the caveat to that is, I will take someone with no talent and no experience if they have drive and they're just stubborn. I'll take that person all day over talent. Talent is extremely overrated. Now, my situation is I I went to my first day of law school. My brother got transferred here to Tulsa with a bonus. And he said, hey, do you want to own something rather than go to, you know, and I, I had been to my first day of law school. It was not for me. It didn't feel warm. I didn't want to spend another, you know, three to four years in school to one day get someone's coffee at a high rise in San Francisco as a new young lawyer. It just didn't sound appetizing. And. I have done a lot of stuff in my life where I sucked. Even at, even at volleyball and wrestling and every sport I had ever played at, I sucked. But the thing about those is even though I was arguably the worst wrestler on my high school team, I was still the captain. And even though I was, I'm, I'm five foot eight, no volleyball champion, still I was the captain of the team. I just don't like to be in the back seat. And with a restaurant and a business, you get to be in the front seat. So when I went to college, I was working at a fine dining restaurant and I took to it really well. Doing Having a job given to you and excelling at it, I will always do. And it's, and it's not through, again, talent. It's just, I don't like to fail. I don't like to suck, especially when I can prevent it. Especially if you, I think with sports, I never could jump higher. I could never could run faster, no matter how much I willed it to be. And with business, if you will it to be, it doesn't matter. And that's the beauty of business. If you just decide, I want this, you can take it. As long as you have the mental fortitude, it's there. And it, it doesn't even matter if you're that smart. If you just have a, a decent wherewithal, you could figure it out. And that's the best thing I love about business. So when it came to opening a restaurant and well, in my time in college, I was working at this fine dining restaurant as an expediter, and I found that I was really good at it, like really good at it. I was 18 and telling a bunch of 30 to 40-year-old career-level servers what to do, where to go, organizing all the plates, which is very hard in a steakhouse, and it was a, arguably the most successful steakhouse in the San Francisco Bay Area at the time, and I just took to it. So when it came time to open a restaurant, again limited restaurant knowledge. I had worked two small dinky pizzerias. My brother had worked at dinky pizzeria 20 years previously in the mid eighties, not enough of a prerequisite in my opinion to be successful, but I just jumped in all in and decided to learn everything I could. So with my political science background, I 
I just jumped in and got it figured out. What was the originally idea about uh, your pizza business? Because today you are, it feels like you, you, you have found your way. You found the way where the brand stand. You found your place in the community. You're involved in a lot of community things as well. But was that something you thought about from the outset? This, this is where I want to land. This is how it's going to look in 15 years time. There's certain things that day one still translate. Like I said, I want this to be good enough that if I opened it in the heart of Manhattan, it would hang. It would do okay in that environment. I didn't want to compete against what was in a suburb of Tulsa. I wanted to personally compete against myself. With that said, the brand in and of itself, I think is a lot like a comedian. A comedian could tell a funny joke, but you know a Dave Chappelle joke versus a Chris Rock joke versus a George Carlin joke. They have a different vibe, and that takes a lot of time, and it takes really cultivating your voice, and in this sense, brand. So we didn't have that figured out yet. At first, we were kitschy, fun family thing with you know a lot of frozen raviolis and at first that made sense because we could buy a bunch of frozen raviolis as we started making more and more things from absolute scratch and that was resonating with the customer we had to say no to the customers that liked frozen ravioli when i realized that anyone could buy this this garbage just anyone could buy the same frozen ravioli so i'm the same as this other guy down the street that's buying the even if it's a rare frozen ravioli it's still someone else's product and i just donated all the stuff and gave my freezer away and i think that's when we really honed in on finding our brand and our voice which was about two years into the business but i never was looking at this as okay let's make money now and get out which i think a lot of restaurant people do especially people who are coming from another industry they're they're in their 40s they were a lawyer they were a doctor i'm going to I'm going to invest in a restaurant. Maybe I'll spend some time and then I'll sell it and get out. And that's just the worst approach to this industry. You really have to give yourself to the industry if you ever wanted to give anything back to you. Yeah, and I think you think you're right. And I think this is really evident now with the pandemic that's, that's really fired up on the situation of, you know, I think uh, I can't remember who was on the, they were, uh, who was it that was in the, on the podcast said, Uh, he owes jazz jazz chef in the uk he said if you were in trouble on the balance sheet prior to the pandemic and you thought you're going to have an easy sale or somebody's going to come and snap up your brand you're really in trouble afterwards because you're not really invested into that business and that's going to make it break during the pandemic because that's what takes it through as you just said it's like the purpose somebody that drives that originally idea it's not about the exit it's about what it can become. And then sometimes there happens an exit, but that's a very different thing than thinking you can go in and flip around a business in a couple of years time. So I agree with you. There's a much more long-term in your book, Mike, you say, you ask a very interesting question in one of your, your chapters, you say, why should anyone buy from you? So my question is the same to you. Why, why should people buy to you? There's a good reason that you removed the freezer, but why else is people coming to you instead of the others? Yeah. It's a, it's a very, important question to ask any restaurant for us were unique takes on italian classics making as many things from absolute scratch as possible the environment is inviting and approachable it looks like a 1920s new york bar it doesn't look overly trendy the servers are excited about the food not just because we 
force them or tell them to be, but by treating people well and giving them some of the food, it's, it's has a value proposition that people want to be a part of. And we alleviate purchase anxiety and build purchase pride in that. I want someone to feel special that they bought the best or what they believe to be the best pizza in town, because no one says let's go and get those second best pizza in town. They'll say, I want the most convenient, whatever is right here available now. But if they say, I want to have the best tonight, then that's, you have to be king of the mountain. And the unique selling point is very, very potent and important to that thought. So when someone says, why should anyone buy from you? The typical response of a new operator or restaurant is, well, we've done everything right. You know, the it, it looks it nice inside and the servers are nice and the menu's good and there's nothing that stands out. They have so forced their brain into trying to fit in and getting the same chairs that they saw some other bistro get and having the menu look like the other menu that they saw that they're that they're like sixth graders trying to not get mocked in middle school and as a result nothing about it's unique and it has no call to action and what happens is it's just good it's fine and fine is as bad as horrible because in both scenarios you don't come back people will think well it was fine And fine is the worst word in my professional vocabulary because fine is the same as horrible. In fact, I prefer horrible than fine. At least with horrible, there's a story. But there's so many restaurants that someone's like, oh, we went to blah, blah last weekend. It was fine. Oh, we haven't been there. Maybe we should go with you next weekend. Like, no, no, I I was already there. It's, It's okay, but I don't, let's go somewhere. Let's go somewhere new. That restaurant's getting zero new dollars because there wasn't enough that was unique or memorable or had a call to action that pulls the person to want to come back again. And that is the death nail of this industry. Fitting in is the death nail of this industry. Yeah, and uh, I know we have a a shared passion for Jim Collins' book called Good to Great, and it starts with good is the enemy of great. (laughs) And... uh, and and that, that and that's the nice way of saying what you just said. And I totally agree. There's a, there's it's, it's about being different. Actually, dare to stand out. What about uh, you know? You also have another question. I think that's really relevant to talk about. I think a lot of business owners, not only in restaurants, forget why should anyone work for you? It's a this is a restaurant and a hospitality and a business is predicated upon people. This notion that if you own a business, that you're some oligarch jerk buying and destroying lives at will is just bs it's not true if you aren't charming but also a disciplinarian and a focused leader no one's going to want to get on your on your bus and you got to have a bus and everyone wants to have a seat on the bus if they don't want a seat on the bus then they there's tons of other buses to get on so you have to have a level of charisma and a level of hey I'm really excited about this thing here and we're doing cool stuff with pizza and I think you're great and we could do great things. And will you want to be a part of that with me as opposed to, yep, it's cheese on bread. So if you work here, great, but you better be here at eight or you're fired. Uh, If you need to take off on the weekend to see your kids recital, you're fired and shut up and like it because I'm paying you. That mentality is so stupid. It's so costly 
and it it yields nothing and no sex, successful restaurant could predicate a success story off it. Even in the Marine Corps, in the United States Marine Corps, they are yelling and just full-blown evil in your face, but you still wanted to work for them. You still wanted to give your all to the drill sergeant because you knew that they were doing it for you with your best interest at heart and to make you better. And as long as that's the mindset that we're not steeped in apathy, but we want to be better than we were yesterday, people will get on board for it. And the people that don't, you really don't want on your team. And it, and it's interesting that, yeah, because I, I, I don't know how it is in, in your negative world, but I believe that, you know, finding good people has been a challenge for, for many years, I think, across the, the industry and the world. And I think we're going to find it even harder after, you know, when we come back from the pandemic. I don't know what your view is as well. There's going to be, you know, the people that really are on top of that employee journey, that experience. Uh, which is so, is so important as the uh, customer experience. They actually have to be at the same level. They're the one they're going to win. They're going to take on the good people. And then there's going to be big challenges for people that hasn't put these things in place or are not intending to do it. What is your view on that? I think the entry-level employee's mindset has significantly shifted in the last 15 years. And it's possible to still use this new mindset and to be successful with it. So. 2000 to 2005, if someone applied to a restaurant, they might have to fill out a very long test. They would have to go physically into the restaurant. They'd have to put themselves out there, maybe go through multiple interviews. And now it's so much easier to apply that if the restaurant is still saying, well, we're not getting any good candidates. I'm like, well, you're not fishing with great bait anymore. If you're not having, I mean, the easiest way is Facebook. People especially the restaurant industry for basic entry level, not, not managers or GMs, but basic entry level employee. Everyone has a Facebook in the modern world and going through ads on that platform rather than monster or these career oriented sites is a lot easier to have a lot more chum in the water going after big fish. And then you got to placate them. The goal right now is get bodies in the door and then feel out their personality. I would say that the modern employee has less personality than 15 to 20 years ago, but they're more malleable. They'll do what is asked of them. But here's the caveat. You need to ask it because someone would just do it and want to climb the corporate ladder in 1985. They're just climbing the corporate ladder. The modern employee is like, where is the ladder? How do I climb up each rung? What is the benefit for me and society as a result of climbing each rung? And if you could answer those questions, and if you invest in answering those questions with the employee, you will have great employees. It just takes a lot more effort. And people who don't want to figure it out or employers who are like, all these kids are horrible or they, they're idiots. It's just not the case. They're just different. And it takes a different approach. How, how many people, Mike, is that you employ over your, your 11, 12 sites? I think today I'm at 267 employees. Yeah, yeah. on on a, a spread out in you know, on a certain yeah. layer. What what do you do to to cultivate the, uh, your culture? Because the, you you write about it in the book as well that you know that thing about creating a culture with uh, discipline, and you used the word before as well, discipline people. Discipline, but focused discipline. Like, go crazy, do whatever you want inside this fence. Here are the defined rules. So to take someone 
from entry level, it's a lot about investment and training. And I became keenly aware that I could not personally train every single employee as much as I wish I could. So I make really in-depth videos of me or whoever's the best at that role doing it the exact right way. And I think all of training breaks down into three distinct categories. There is book training, which could be videos, PDFs, whatever. It's it's classic schools, school time training. And then there's one-to-one training where, okay, you saw how to make a pepperoni pizza on the video with Mike showing you. Now you're going to make it with me. Let me see you do it. Okay, great. You did this thing wrong. Now you do it again until they do it right. And that's one-to-one verification. And then there's on-site training. You're going to do this and make every pepperoni pizza for the rest of the night. After they've done it three times or done it those three ways via book, on-site, and one-to-one, they're significantly more set up for success. And people want to feel like they're good at something. So if you leave things ambiguous for the people who really do have figured out mentality, you're not going to have that many people with a high success rate. If you eliminate figure it out mentality and build people up so that they can't screw it up, if they are trying, they cannot screw it up. You get a lot more employees that feel good about their job. Then the ones who do have figure it out mentality can, you know, be the cream of the crop that rise. Nonetheless, you can take them and make them feel special. Then also, they need to graduate training, which I think a lot of restaurants fail to do. They need to graduate and have something. So it dawned on me to have a graduation swag bag. They get a bag, a backpack to put their stuff in. They get a golden ticket to go eat dinner with someone else at any of my restaurants for complete free. They get a keychain that looks like a pizza. They get a few other items in the uh, a cup. It just builds this fandom of working here and loyalty, which if someone listening to this is like, that seems like a lot of effort. That seems like a pain in the ass or you're, you're placating the employee. It's all self. It's, it's all self-fulfilling because if I can save that employee from quitting in two months to lasting a year, two years, I am paying myself back dividends. Every employee is an investment and an investment, just like at the bank, you put money in. So hopefully you get more money back. If you put more time in, you get a better employee back. So the more time, the more investment, the greater the return. And when you half-ass the investment, you get a half-assed return. I couldn't agree with you more because uh, my background is McDonald's, as many know. Uh, I spent 12 years in that system, and I think I spent those 12 years because of the initial training I got, because that was where I was made feel special. As you, there was a graduation of my training many times. It was not only as an employee, it was when I moved up through the, the organization, and uh and it means a lot to people be to be recognized. I think that's the thing. You know, you've learned something new, and now you've been told you you're past the level you need to be at. And you think, oh, well, McDonald's is one of the most unloved brands, or KFC as well. But that thing, that's that's what. Just as you say, if you can take that two months and extend that to two years, you know that that's massive uh, return of investment. I think that's the the headspace you need to be in. Um, really agree with you there, Mike. Mike, what is the future plans for the for the business? You already have a a small empire. Uh, any 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 crazy ideas here 
on the uh, the hopefully we're in the last phase of the pandemic. Not let's not look too much in the crystal ball and promise anything. But yeah, there is opportunities, as you said, within all this. On the table right now, from a business perspective, every landowner who would never want to give up their land a year ago is in fear of capital gains and saying, please take the property, buy it, buy it from us. So at the same rate that we're paying our mortgage, we have, I think, three of our properties that we'll, we'll own, which is amazing. I Coming from you know, a kid who didn't have a lot of money, growing up in a military, my dad was in the Marine Corps, my brother was in the Marine Corps, I went to OCS. It's a lot of work and you're not poor or destitute, but you're certainly not rich. To have properties under our belts, it's it's incredible. Now that's one small thing. Then I've learned that I have a very unique model. And in the quote unquote empire, we have a distribution center in Tulsa. So we can really act like we're one of the big boys, but with high quality in Tulsa. If I leave Tulsa, I have to start all that over again, which I'm fine to do. Nonetheless, there's other avenues I could take, whether it's because you know we're bakers by trade at this point. There's other things we could do with ghost kitchens, with baking, with more catering and other ways to approach it. And all with all that said, the response to the book has been so overwhelming. So many direct messages and emails and all the things that I'm getting hit up with that we've done personal consulting one-to-one with people. But we have, right now I'm talking to you in my office, which is above my fine dining restaurant next to my pizzeria across the street from a quick service gelateria that's also a commissary kitchen. People want to see this and we can do what I just described with training, book training. Hey, what's your P&L? What's your forecasting? How, how do you explain to a new hire what the values of your company are along with getting someone who's never been in the industry acclimated to how to use a POS? Because we could walk right downstairs and see it in person that a lot of restaurants are hitting us up and we're looking to formalize a potential school where people would come here Maybe it's one person, maybe it's 10 different individuals at a cheaper cost. See our whole program. We give them the PL, give them the wherewithal, give them all the stuff that they would need to be up and running, save them hundreds of thousands of dollars in the process, and then send them back to Timbuktu, Sheboygan, wherever in America they're from, to go have a much higher success chance after attending a three to five day school with us here. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting uh, idea because um, lots of people don't have that training. So they start a, a restaurant as you did yourself without having any form for training and understanding of the most important viables. But you actually not it's not a restaurant; it's a business. And you know, running a business, you need to understand. You said the, the secret word that I meet a lot of operators. Uh, like when I say, "So can I see your P and L, your monthly P and L?" and it goes quiet. What do you mean? We do that once a year. We do our accounts. Yeah, the the one that you you are sure that you you you're measuring your 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 running costs, and and I think there are so many things to learn when you start a restaurant. So I think it's a brilliant idea also because you 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 are, you're proven it. It's not like it's a proven concept. That's really interesting. It's going to be interesting to follow, Mike, if you go down that route. And I actually think that's the the way that a lot of operators can take it that's been successful and shown things in the, during the pandemic. Um, we've had about 10 people come out. Oh, sorry, we've had about 10 people do it so far. And it's been really, really positive. The, and some people I'm, I'm 
detailing how they handled setting up a business with their family while other people have never owned a business and they're like how do you know they're trying to do four doughs at once it's and i'm like let's figure out one first so whether it's culinary or finance or just how to handle personalities uh we've done it all so much that it's that that's the value proposition we provide yeah it's uh it's really interesting now you've been at it for 15 years is there anything you wished you'd have known when you you started out, Mike, you 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 alert to some things in the beginning that you you're just starting out a bit naive without any any experience. It's a it's a murky question because everything that I learned through screw ups, if I hadn't screwed it up, the lesson wouldn't be as tattooed in my brain as it needs to be to help guide my decision making. Nonetheless, you know, there's we've made some really bad decisions that I wish we could have avoided. I wish. You know, we chose the wrong POS when we just blindly went with whoever our our food supplier said we should use. I think that's the thing that I I would advise is food suppliers are great. And if you could meet a food supplier that cares about your success as much as you do, that's smart. We didn't have that when we started. And you shouldn't take a lot of restaurant advice from someone who does not own a restaurant because food suppliers don't own restaurants. They know about the products out there, but they're not culinarily saying, hey, here's how you make something. They just want to sell you a frozen product. So it's the easy answer that a lot of new operators fall into. I say go go and give up your ego, which I never had one to begin with, but give up your ego and really ingratiate yourself to someone who's done it. And, and the beauty of 2021 versus 2000, especially in the pizza world, is people are way more giving of their knowledge. In the 90s, they'd be like, hey, what recipe are you using? Get away from me. You trying, oh, trying to steal my business? You trying to screw me over? That's mostly dead. So going and meeting people who are giving of their knowledge and helping them help you and have this mutual benefit thing is a beautiful thing we could get to now. Yeah, yeah, because it's also important that we get better as an industry because that's 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 the that's the big challenge even pre-pandemic. How do we actually build an industry that's, that's so strong it becomes a bit more unshakable uh when things hit us so we actually have, you know, a good baseline for the things we do. Um what we talked you you said you've done a lot of failures. Uh what is the biggest one? Is the POS system the the biggest failure you've done uh, in your career? And uh what was the, the top learning from it? Uh I think well there's certain failures like we opened a, a pizzeria that was purely Napolitana style pizzeria in downtown Tulsa and it didn't fail. It did well, but we had to change it and add other styles of pizza and add a bar. There's times where we had concepts that were too too much for the customer to absorb. And then we changed it a little, changed it a little, and then we turned it into a success. I mean, we've had like three different openings that on launch were failures, but then we said, okay. And it's that punch in the face. Oh, I I got punched in the face. Now what do I learn from it? Okay. Change this and this and this. Oh, another punch, change this, this and this. Okay. That last punch didn't hurt as much. And then finally we don't get punched in the face and we have a successful restaurant. So it, I, I don't know if I've had a failure. I've just had a lot of things suck that I got to them suck less. And then one day they didn't suck at all. And it's a bit like the, the Edison approach, isn't it? Uh, just because the light bulb didn't switch on, you just get on it again. Because Perfect you, way of saying it. 
because something you got right you are you are definitely on the on the journey what about inspiration where did you get your inspiration from uh, is it from people is it from books is it from your own experience uh, other business people around you there's a lot that i take in i have a lot of mentors uh but when i thought about you know really who stands out it's a generic answer but my dad and my mom are two very different people my, my mom was so organized and locked and cocked at all moments and as a kid it's a it's a lot to take on when your mom's so organized and you're you're a kid so you're not organized and as an adult i found myself just being very ocd about things and wondering where it came from and that it's just in my blood even though i wanted to act more like my dad i'm more like my mom and it really influenced how i but having an organized approach to business has saved me way more than anything else because that's really where the money's at and really how you get your head above water my dad is a uh, a former lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps, a great inspirational guy who has done, he's like the Forrest Gump of the Marine Corps and all the things that he's done, whether it was in Vietnam or or helping so many things happen in New York City, that I, being a leader and having people care about what you say, I learned from him. And then from the pizza side of this, my brother is also you know 15 years older than me, so he has a lot that he's helped me, especially when I was younger, in business, but he's also the product of my, my parents. My uh, mentor from a pizza standpoint has always been Tony Gimignani. And if you don't know who that is, he's really the Michael Jordan of pizza. The guy just dominates in all things pizza. And, and um, he's a very close friend of me now. He, he's been a mentor for the last 13 years to me. I can't speak his praises enough. His book, The Pizza Bible, is the biggest mic drop of pizza. It's every single recipe done the greatest possible way you could do it, whether you're a home chef or a professional pizza maker. He's won every award that you could ever win in pizza making. So uh, having him as a mentor has significantly helped my game. We will uh, we will put uh, his book in the show notes and we'll also make sure that uh, people can be guided to, to your book, uh, Mike, just the people out there thinking and trying to scribble down uh it's super interesting when you said like the the michael jordan of uh, pizza H- how did you actually start working with him you know because he probably can hear there's probably a lot of people that wants to work with him how did you actually get access to to him as a, a reasonable small business well it's interesting i mean I, like i said I, I called so many businesses when i first opened like hey what are you doing for this restaurants and pizzerias i grew up on i got hung up on most of them i called him when i was 22 and they put a note to him. He called me back a week later, talked on the phone with me and gave me tips for about an hour. He had no reason to do that, was totally cool. Then three years later, he went and got a professional collegiate level degree in pizza making by taking a translator and flying to Italy and doing this pizzaiello course in Italy. He then had the wherewithal to take the instructors from there, bring them back to America, hire an instructor to, to do this course in America. And I scrounged up the little money I had and was, and I asked, could I be in this course? And he's like, you're the kid I talked to like three years ago, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, if you could get out here. So I was in a course with all these heavy hitters of pizza that are, you know, 35 to 40. And I was 25 and I was just sponging everything I could. And then Tony took that course and became a master instructor himself. And invited me to be on his team, the World Pizza Champions, that competes internationally in pizza making. And then I started competing with him, and we just built a rapport. And now 
he's the president and I'm the vice president of that team. And we have taken this group to 40 of the best pizza makers in America that really push the industry forward. And that's another big part of what I do is pushing the industry via the World Pizza Champions, who I all call my friends. And it's a very interesting, just basically by giving to what he's about and making it what I'm about, and now it's what we're about, is how you build. And I think that's what life is, and that's what we've done so well with each other. Well, that's a super interesting story, just because sometimes you just have to ask. And you just asked. Uh, and I think that's often what I say to people as well. Yeah, if you want that, you need to start asking. Maybe you don't get an answer the first time. Maybe you don't get the answer you want, but you keep on asking because they find out at some point, I can't. That person will come in front of me someday and I need just to to, to do it. There's, there's, they, they look for drive, as you say. They look for drive and energy that, that this is going to happen. Another thing, interesting thing you said before when you talked about your mom, I made a little note. You said systems. And when I read your book as well, uh, I can see you have this uh, obsession with systems and systemizing the business and how you talk, talked about training before. Due to my background, my mom and dad ran restaurants as well. One of my things, um, uh, I'm an integrator, I've been told before, uh, and I'm lazy. I want uh, the system to work, not me, to work harder. Can you talk a bit about your your approach to systems and why you see that as such an essential part of building your business. And I think it's both in restaurant and outside restaurant that has not put enough e- e- emphasis on actually building strong business systems. It, it's just something you do half, half-hearted sometimes. Yeah, I, I, you touched on a little bit. Maybe some, sometimes I'm like, am I just lazy, but to a, to not to a fault, lazy to a win? That I'm like, I don't want to deal with this. And I get annoyed when you're doing something stupidly that could be done smarter. It's annoying to me. I don't like it. And I really love fixing it or finagling a way to make it better. And again, working my first, I had done systems as a kid here and there, but working my first restaurant job, this is so stupid, but they were, we had to count how many, the expediter would put the potato on it or the starch on the plate. And it was, you'd have to really needle and look really close at the ticket. And it just dawned on me, take a big ass pen out and write how many potatoes we were going to need for the tickets. Because you, if you have like 30 tickets long, so I'd write, oh, that's one, two, four, six. So I just write it all out. And that way it was systemized. And it was like I had created fire the way all the servers were all, we could just do this so much faster now because we know exactly how many we need to get. Because it's not like the ticket could be formulated with that type of POS 20 years ago. So it just made it quicker. And, and then seeing that high, running that high of, oh, that made everything quicker. And then I was like, if we change the soup and how it's set up here, we could just do it on the fly. And if we do this, we could do this. And just and then I'm like, oh, God, this is so cool. And I'm 18 and I'm changing the way that this restaurant that's been here forever is doing things. And, and it just made me feel good about it. And I'm like, there's always a better way. And then when I went to the Marine Corps, I learned that there's always a better way. There's always something else you're not thinking of you're holding back and the second you're complacent and you're like, we figured it out, you're dead. And I, I say in the book, your happiness and complacency of today is your direct enemy of your tomorrow. So go after what you haven't thought of yet and kill yourself about that and systemize the approach and things will get better and life will be more productive and easier, which again is a big fallacy. A lot of people have like, if I'm not sweating, 
And if I'm not just dying over the oven line myself, then I haven't worked. I, I don't deserve what I got. And I, I like to have a blue collar and white collar approach. I don't want to be some soulless stock trader who just lives off the work of others, but I want to create like, no, you do this defined part. You do this defined part and let's be like a, an assembly line rather than one person running around like a chicken with their head cut off. And the interesting thing when you say there as well is that um, if you don't do that, that you will, uh, then also you will not be able to give it to other people if you don't systemize your business. It's often very difficult to give people an unwritten piece of uh, paper and say, do this job. Because if you don't improve, and I, I like the way you said as well, it's about the 1% improvement. It's not about these big jumps. It's about the small improvement you can do all the time to make the, the system better. And that's how the big, the best athletes in the world, Michael Phelps, is a, is a man of habits and systems. Uh, Michael Jordan, <laughs> a man of habits and systems. If you have to go outside, uh, totally out of the restaurant industry. So I totally agree with you. It seems like you've gone through the uh, the the period, been through the last twelve months with with some degree of success, and you turned it to uh, an advantage instead of a downside. But what is your prediction for for hospitality? Uh, it seems like we're in the same problems globally. Uh, and uh, what what do you think that's going to happen within the next uh, twelve to eighteen months? Uh, if we're just looking at a crystal ball and there's no you know, nobody's going to come back to you and say you're wrong, but this is what you think, this, how it's going to play out now? I think the restaurant industry is going through an identity crisis currently, and it's going to have to come back to grips with who it is. There's some restaurants that are going to go back to full servers and everything, and it's going to be a lot of people who want to feel normal. There's going to be a large contingent that do not ever feel safe again and they are going to need to be tended to regardless if there's a hundred percent vaccination that this group is going to need to be tended to because they have a profit stream and because we're in the hospitality business we're not in the here's what you should do business hospitality means this is how you this was what would make you feel comfortable so i'm going to tend to it and mask wearing is is not going to go anywhere in, the, in certain demos for sure along with i think there's going to be a rise of QR court ordering at the table of serverless contactless. I don't see those words leaving our vernacular nowhere near before 2025. So it's about the pendulum swinging. I think the pendulum will swing the other way, but there'll be reverberating effects of what we're currently seeing now, regardless of what happens. And then also, if you want to tell God a joke, tell him your plans because You'd never know what's coming around the other corner. You just don't. I, I mean, I, I should be a Jag lawyer in San Francisco today, and instead I'm a pizza maker in Tulsa. Um, you don't know what's about to happen. But the beauty of thinking on your feet is no matter what you, you know comes at your way, if you're able to drive and make decisions and improv on the fly, then that's the skill set that people need to enhance is their ability to improv and i think in the restaurant industry we've learned the very very harsh realization that if you don't have clean books and organized bookkeeping you're screwed you really people that are like oh no my 2018 taxes that's in my aunt's attic those people didn't get funded those people were scurrying so really organizing from a business from not the customer side standpoint but the entrepreneur standpoint organizing your books and being 
focused on that is going to be enhanced in the next few years. Yeah, and it's so interesting, and I think that's also outside uh, the the uh, the restaurant industry. I think a, a lot of businesses, uh, you know, sometimes, especially smaller businesses, forget to uh, have discipline around that thing because it's actually money. Your bookkeeping is is money. It's either you know reduce tax or it's something you can deduct, and actually that's often forgotten. Um, what about uh, you said an interesting thing about that uh, when you say that it's not people want more safety when they come back. Do you believe that uh, as a restaurant or sit down restaurant that you can go back to a hundred percent capacity for a long time because you need to cater for the you know we know there's a vaccine but we still we're still not hundred percent sure that this is safe. So you almost have to create that safe environment for them when they come in. I think it's going to be almost like a smoking section was 25 years ago. Like there's the socially distanced section of the restaurant or the patio is socially distanced, but inside is, is a free for all come July, August. I could see that. Now we in Andalini's put up massive barriers, not just small barriers, but like full seven foot tall black walls, cubicles for each booth so as to fully have capacity through this whole thing i didn't want my servers to have to question anything and we got with the health department like these are many rooms at this point are we cool to have full capacity they said yeah we can't see why not so that was a big thing that we did so we never did limit capacity but for the future i do see that i do see people hey we don't want to be around anyone too close or my my aunt is high risk they're going to go outside or something like that's going to happen. It's interesting, yeah, because it's not enough to come back. You still have to uh, to navigate that, as you say. You are you're a very driven man, Mike. Um, you're doing a lot of things. You write a book. You run. Uh, you know, I, I, I know the, the, the skill it takes just to uh, run a group of restaurants, as you do, uh, in different location, geographical. How do you actually show up pro every day? And how do you actually, you know, keep that? you know, energy and focus you need to have because there's a lot of people looking at you as the one that needs to uh, to lead them. Yeah, I think it's, you know, on a small level, it's talking to people, looking them in the eyes. On the next level, I have an organized flow of, of leadership. I manage my GMs who manage and I manage their managers. And it's a very, here's the clean line of communication that you follow, which again, most organizations don't have. So that's how I keep my head like, hey, I have this thing. This is what I'd like to have happen at the stores. You five are responsible for it. And then you make it happen. And then we'll verify that it occurred with directly responsible individuals. That's how I get the stuff going. From a mental standpoint, I think that drug use and alcoholism are pervasive in this industry. It just is. It's it's not, it's no secret, but people don't really want to talk about it. When, you know, when I was younger and it was like, oh, really hard night, have a few beers, and then the next day kind of on a low, or I work till three in the morning to then wake up at nine, six hours of sleep, but you're waking up at nine. I did that pendulum swing and I was still successful. But when I switched it to, you know, I'm super clean now and going to bed at 10 and waking up at five and really focusing on the day and, and working out and tending to that, that's a success approach that I had heard so much about people doing. And I had done it in my life again, coming from a going 
with a Marine Corps father and all that working, waking up early wasn't anything new to me. But when I did that in my business, I, just, I did notice a change and, and it did focus me even more and takes your drive to that extra cream, that extra 5% more. And I, I think that that's what highly successful people in this industry do. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I think like uh, I call it, they have routines as well in their mornings and evenings that make sure that they uh, switch off at the right time and switch on at the right time. I can remember I was trained in uh, restaurants, not in McDonald's, but in a, in a cafe chain we built. And uh, we always try to be around in restaurants before uh, the staff and before the managers as well as the, the senior people. Because that was where how we got the day started as well. Didn't mean we did their job. We were just connecting with the business very early. If we had to do something, prepare things for the day, we'll sit in one of the restaurants and actually uh, get get ready or have meetings there and get up at, at five uh, five o'clock. It's uh, because again you're you're ahead of things and you're ready when it goes wrong, as it does all the time in restaurant. It never goes according to plan, as you said. What is um. For, for leaders out there running their own businesses, restaurants or not restaurants, um, what is your top three advice in uh, in the time to win? What is it that they need to focus on? You first, you got to want the ball. You got to want to have the ball and like to be in control, but willing to delegate once you've figured it out. And then the next thing is, if you're not impressive, by default, you're unimpressive, especially in this industry. This is not a business-to-business industry. This is business-to-consumer. And consumers have such an abundance of choice that you have to be impressive. Anything short of it, it is somewhat like the good to great, but anything short of impressive is just blah. It's dull. I've already seen it. I don't care. So living in the impressive, and that means that you are taking, doubling down on you is what I think people hold back on. They are so afraid of putting themselves out there or putting their own personality that they do the cookie cutter approach. However you define whatever, whatever industry it is, it's like, okay, I have a hotel. I need to make sure it looks like the Hyatt's hotel or, Oh, I have this coffee shop. Well, then I need to make sure it looks like kind of like Starbucks, but a little, a little kookier. And it's, it's been done. And I say, I, if you are in love with formula one racing, or if you're in love with NASCAR, and you have a bunch of stuff, put it all on the wall. doesn't matter. I've never seen a NASCAR pizzeria. I still haven't, but I know that there's some guy out there who loves NASCAR, who's putting up a bunch of photos of Italy on the wall, and he's never even been to Italy. And that's why it's inauthentic. So double down on you and your personality because people want to see that. Anyone who's listening to this podcast has probably seen Hero Dreams of Sushi. It's called Hero dreams of sushi it's not hero casually sometimes makes sushi on the weekends it's hero dreams of making sushi and that's what people want to be a part of they want to be a part of passion if you're not giving a passionate experience whatever you're passionate about then i can move on i don't need to like what you like but i want to be around people who are passionate about what they like especially if i'm spending my disposable income on it my limited disposable income if I'm if I'm in a pandemic, you better have something worth buying. Yeah, and I think that's that's really interesting when you said uh, the passion bit. I often say to people when we I work with them and say like when purpose and passion comes together, so you you put this in this uh, business into the world because you wanted to do more than just take. You want to give you give more than you take. Plus, they can feel your passion. It's gonna go boom at some time. 
because people cannot resist that. If they like it or not, they can't resist that. And uh, one of the most successful uh, restaurant chains in the world, McDonald's, uh, Ray Kroc, he was a very passionate man. And that was what the, the drove, drove. And he had a very clear purpose about what he wore, where he wanted to take it. And and he got got it all the way. And he got a lot of people with him on that journey. And they were laughing at him in the beginning. But when you have passion and purpose, you, you will get there. And boom, it says. He's also regarded as a failure for much of his life. And that 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 feeling of a failure, and then he finally had a glimmer of a chance to to take advantage of his moment. And regardless of the morality of Ray Crocker, you debate, he jumped on that chance. He was like, "This is my ticket, and I'm taking this ticket, and I'm riding it. I'm not waiting for another ticket. This is my lottery ticket. I've been buying them all my life, and this one's a winner, and I am not giving it up." Yeah. And he stayed with it, and people could feel that you know he he could go past everyone. So yeah, it's it's a great example, and not because I'm an old McDonald's person. I just think it's a, you know passion. It's it's a drive. So many things. So you're spot on there, Mike. Mike, uh, if people want to uh, learn more about you and Antonio uh, Pizza, where where did they go and find you? Uh, what are the best channels to to if they want to reach out to you even or want to know more? Where where do they go? The easiest answer is go to unslicedbook.com. It has my link tree. It has everything there for Andalini's Pizzeria, for my Instagram, which is at Mikey Bausch, M-I-K-E-Y-B-A-U-S-C-H, but unslicedbook.com. You can buy it on Amazon. I recorded an audio book with me doing the voice of it. So my glorious voice for six straight hours, if you'd like to hear that. Uh, the jokes land a little bit better. It's an, uh, If you're listening to this, again, I didn't write a clinical book. I wrote a very entertaining and approachable book that I don't speak highly of myself ever. I think this book is good. and I think you will enjoy it. And if you don't like it, please email me and tell me that personally, and I will send you money fully admitting I suck if you think I suck, but I don't think it sucks. And I think you'll like it. So unslicebook.com. Oh, butchering, Mike. I think uh, if you like a book that is uh, direct to the core of what's about running a restaurant, I think uh, Mike is quite spot on. And I think you would enjoy this book if you are a person that likes to get stuff done because you can go out and do stuff with this book. That's my uh, that was my view after reading it. So I don't know if that gave you guys out there some some a bit of insight to what is expected. But Mike, that was absolutely great, and thank you for coming on and sharing your your knowledge with the with the the audience and the tribe out there. I'm sure those people have learned a lot and have something to think about. So again, thank you very much for taking your valuable time out of your 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 busy day, uh, sending your your power, energy, and love for for the next period to go through here. And I'm sure we'll uh, we'll touch base again on the other side. Very cool. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mike, for your insights on how to build the right mindset and sharing your learnings and approaches to build a strong businesses in a volatile world. If you want to get more insights on how to build the right mindset, please tune in to our episode 95 with Ali Gordon, who is a coach and mentor and talks about your belief systems. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please share it, rate, review, or subscribe to one of our channels. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us, bringing you these great insights and strategies and tools to help the industry thrive, not just survive. And check them out at BizSimply.com or on their social at BizSimply or BitSimplyHQ or just send them an email directly on advice at BitSimply.com.
Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to our community and download free leadership tools at hospitalitymavericks.com. And don't worry, if you didn't get all of this, there will be links in the show notes. Thanks for listening and be maverick.